Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be... Um, sorry. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Go ahead and grab a seat here. Um, as Will said, um, the short joke. Here I am, and here's my. This thing is way too tall. All right. Um, uh, the picture day so far is uh, people standing out in the parking lot greeting you with a with an umbrella that was really really great to see and so thanks so much for those who get here early and uh, try really really hard to make this a, a place where uh, you feel safe um, like uh, we've been saying all morning this is a teaching that's um, is probably not as devotionally heavy as you would like and yet it is super essential and so that's why we are walking through what we call church leadership or who runs the church and who's in charge and those kinds of things. Uh, last week, we really came in heavy as far as who is leading this church and who is the one that's responsible for this church and who is the one that is pace setting. And uh, we, we redirected all of that energy away from away from Jerry, away from the pastor, the staff here, and we pointed it to Jesus himself. He's the one who bled for us. We are a children. We are his possession. We are his. We follow him. This is Jesus's church. We got that? This is Jesus's church. He leads it. He's the lead pastor. He's a senior pastor. We just keep on going with all of the analogies, those kinds of things. The reason that this can be somewhat devotional and somewhat kind of rend our heart a little bit is because this idea of authority really is a, a big deal to us because it's hard for us to submit to people. That's a question that bothers us, that I have to submit to others, right? But all of us in here, we have to submit to something. Um, we had to pay taxes this year to someone, right? We had to pay taxes. Oh, man. 
So we, we understand that there's somebody that's in charge. Uh, there's some police officers in the room, all right? They will be glad to give you a ticket if you are outside of the structure or the authority. Now, some of you have bosses, right? Some of you have board of directors. Some of you are underneath governments. We all understand this idea, even though we don't but that we are under, uh, we are under authority, and we need um, we need this in our, uh, in our lives, even though it's a little bit uncomfortable. But what about as a church, right? As a holistic approach, we too are people under authority, right? We even we walked in that Jesus is leading us. We read in 1 Timothy 3 that we have leaders, right, whether they're called elders or deacons, that are leading us. And so as a church, we understand that Jesus is our head and that there's leaders even within just the dichotomy of just congregation and leadership. And somehow those things come together. But then let's take it even farther. Who else are we, in, are we supposed to submit to? Think about the congregation as a whole. We are not just individuals, each wanting our own things, but we actually come together in a, in a gathering just like this. And so this is where the congregation, where the individual actually gives way to the sanct- for the safety of the whole. That's the reason we sing in unity, right? That's the reason we stand in unity. That's the reason we pray together and we read the same passage because these are all pictures for us to say that even though I matter in the dignity of the Lord, right, that we have to give away our individuality in a corporate setting and sometimes the congregation wins. But then you and I live in context with other people. And so you and I have to figure out how we are to live with one another. These, this idea of peer on peer and Every so often, you have to give way to your brother or give way to your sister because they are correct or they are right or they have more wisdom than you or they are able to point out a sin that you can't see. And so whether it's Jesus or leaders or congregationalism or even peer on peer, we understand that we are all submitting to other people in different contexts. Okay, have I made, are we understanding this? Give me a little bit of this if you're, you're feeling it, okay? A little bit of this if you're feeling it, okay? That was very mild, very mild. So take, for instance, um, my daughter Kennedy. Um, the way that God structured the family, I am her father, right? And so... Kennedy listens and she obeys or she gets wisdom or she gets correction because I am her father. And so because I'm older, maybe stronger, maybe have lived longer, Kennedy likely does some things that we instruct her to do because that's kind of relationship. Yes, dad is kind of the approach where she is listening to her mom or her dad's approach. However, so that's, we understand this. However, Kennedy is a believer in Jesus. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. And she is now not just my daughter, right? And I'm her father. Watch this. Now she is what? She's my sister in Jesus. And we now have a peer-on-peer relationship. So in some context, it's like this. But a lot of this, now Kennedy as my sister, is able to speak to me as a fellow follower of Jesus. And so therefore, even though she has due respect and honor and all those wonderful things, because she's a beautiful young lady, 
all of that is true. She can then speak into her father's life and speak into her brother in Jesus's life and say, hey, dad, I've noticed you doing this. And she can actually correct me or, or, or do more than just honor me. Does that make sense? And so we need each other in each other's lives. And we all are changing different roles and seasons. And so in Matthew 18, one of the the strongest passages on church discipline, it says brothers or sisters need to go to other brothers and sisters when you have a problem with them. And so in a real way, we are brothers and sisters. Even though that Jerry and I are elders over this, in this context, you can come to us in the same, same way that we can come to you. It's a leveling playing field, and that's all that's good. We read last week in Philippians 1.1. You have that. I believe that's probably the marquee passage in your worship guide, uh, Philippians 1.1. And we see some of the tears of who is in charge. And so let's, let's read it together again. Sorry, Cameron. Um, surely I've got it marked somewhere. Here, I'll just flip. There it is. Okay. Philippians 1.1. Paul and Timothy, all right, these are individual people's names, servants of Christ Jesus, that's who's in charge, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, that's the saints, that's also known as the congregation, who are at Philippi. These are specific or particular people at Philippi with the overseers or elders, bishops, and the deacons. Right? And so here you have all of the components that are made up of a local church. You have Christ Jesus who is in charge. He has given away leadership. He's given, Jesus has given away leadership to the overseers and to the, to the deacons. We understand that. We then see that there are all the saints, all right? So we understand and we value this idea of congregationalism. But then we also understand that there are individuals that are made up inside of, of this congregation and inside every single individual, you have a gift, So whether it's Jesus, those people that he's put in charge, the congregation to individuals and to even individual gifts, we see just kind of the triage. We say who is in charge. This is Philippians because this is a great kind of launching point for understanding the local church and understanding the full body of it. So who is in charge? Going back to Philippians 1.1, we see that there are two roles, all right? All right, we've, say, we've said it a couple of times, but there are two roles inside the local body of, of believers. The two roles are that of an overseer and then that of a deacon. You see that in Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. And so elders are responsible for the development of the church's mission and vision. That's what they do. And so Jerry Williams and myself, we are the two elders here at Redstone. And so we are responsible for the development of the church's mission and vision. And we do this by preaching and teaching. We do this, sometimes we do this through pastoral care, through discipleship, even government, and then sometimes discipline. Elders are responsible to oversee the the church that they are in charge of. Take 1 Peter for instance. 1 Peter tells us that elders are supposed to govern well. This is their job. James 3 tells us that they, these elders, are going to be judged with a stricter, with a greater strictness than all of us, all the rest of us. 
Titus 1 goes on to tell us really heavy on this teaching gift, that they are able to teach the word in a trustworthy manner. Not only teach and give instruction, but also to be able to refute doctrine that is out of bounds or able to pull those things back into, back into bounds. This is what elders do. They teach and they preach and they, and, and they are able to guide the people that are under, under their care. But then there's another role. There's this role of deacon. This deacon is this idea of serving, to be a servant. At Redstone Church, we have defined it this way. Those people who serve the church in an essential function or an essential ministry that makes up the church. And so those people that we charge as deacons, those people that we put in charge are owning an essential piece of the ministry or the essential piece of the makeup of our body. So there's a difference between simply serving the church and actually being called a deacon because the deacon is in charge of an, an essential function. But first, what is the church? Like really, what, what is this thing that Paul is ascribing to? What is this kind of local government? Well, there's two different ways that you can see the church. The church universal and the church local. And so the terms, the universal church, some of you have heard this before. The universal church are, are those people who are, who've made up of, of all people groups. And so there's the, the universal church that is worshiping in Johnson City. And we are made up of all the different congregations that are underneath the lordship of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. So all the churches right now that are worshiping this very hour are made up the, of the universal church but not just in Johnson City or East Tennessee or Tennessee or even America, but Latin America and, and uh, Australia and China. And I mean, just you keep going. All those people right now who are underneath the, the purchase of Jesus's blood and claim him as Christ, those people are made up of the universal church. But not just in 2017. It also predates all of God's people for all time who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. That is the universal church, both geographically this way, but also in the timeline from all, you know, from all eternity back, those people who have faith in, in Jesus are a people of the universal church. But then Paul talks about something else. He talks about the local church. He's talking here to a people, the saints, who are gathered at Philippi. And so, yes, the universal church matters, but the local church matters as well. And so many of Paul's writings to the church that we all read to actually are penned to a church that gathered and looked a little bit like this, a gathering of God's people together like this. We know that Paul writes these letters to churches, but we also, Jesus, Jesus talks about the local church as well. Think about in Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, we see the seven churches of Revelation. And what, what is Jesus, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to the churches, that's plural, of Ephesus. Or he's talking to the church of Laodicea. And so Jesus and Paul are looking at local bodies of believers and saying, you matter. It's not just the corporate reality, but these are these little pockets of believers that have come together and clustered together. And that's where church government really does make a difference because how, how God has ordained the local body of believers, not the universal, but the local bodies of believers is he has given her 
elders and deacons. These are the two roles. And so let's first jump into um, uh, elders first. And so this is First uh, Timothy 3, 3, and, uh, 3, 1 and following. It goes like this. The saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. So we know that this office is particular. It's different from all of the others. We also know that this overseer, this elder, is a particular person. And this is what he is to uh, look like. He are, so if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. He must be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. He must not be a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submission, submissive. For if uh, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he must become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil." So you've heard me teach on elders before. So this is just going to be a broad stroke. I'm going to spend most of our time talking about deacons. One, because I've never taught on it before in this context. And two, because it's time sensitive. As mentioned last week, we are on our way to appointing two deacons. And so this is a kind of a, a new frontier for us. So that's where most of the teaching will be this morning. So here's a review. Um, number one. Is that throughout the Old Testament, or sorry, the New Testament, we see that these are terms that are used for the same office. We see the word overseer, like we see in this, this passage. We also see the term elder. We see the word shepherd. Sometimes you can see it as bishop or pastor. But overall, these people who oversee are these people described in the same office. Similar terms, same office of overseer. Make sense? So that's number one. Number two, there are specific duties that are aligned with this elder. Like the elder can't do whatever he wants to do. He has to align under a certain set of duties. These would include praying and studying scripture, leading the church, managing the church, caring for people within the church, giving an account to God, uh, living lives worth following Jesus, teaching the Bible correctly, preaching and praying, these types of things. Uh, visiting the sick, teaching sound doctrine, and on and on and on. So this is what the duty of this, this guy does. But what Paul does for Timothy is he outlines something interesting. He's not as much interested in what he does as who he is. And so Paul spends all of it, most of his time talking about the very character of this person. And so this is a trustworthy saying, Paul says, that he who desires, he desires this, that he has to be this person who is above reproach. This person who is self-controlled or sober-minded or respectable, he's able to teach that he's hospitable. And so he's talking less about his job description and more about the very essence of who this guy is. An overseer, someone who has great character. Now as an elder, and I know that if Jerry was standing here, this is truly humbling. Any list like this will just put any of us on our knees. 
because we cannot meet these, these qualifications. But we aspire to them and we long for them. And in great humility, we try to long and push toward those things. These elders are to feed, they're to guide, and they're to, um, and they're to protect God's flock. That's what they do over and over and over and over again. Simply put, elders are people that are not just good leaders. These are men inside the church that cannot not shepherd people, cannot not care for those people around us who are living lives that are, that are others focused. They invest in others and they disciple others and they are hospitable to others and they just cannot do that. They can't not not do that. So training, you know, you can be coached up with training. You can learn a few skills on, on a few doctrinal points that may be, uh, may be missing, but you cannot be coached up for a heart that wants to die for other people, that wants to give their lives for other people. You can't coach that up. And that's what an elder is. In the early days, I would scan the horizon and look at our bodies, uh, our, our, the men of our body, and I would simply ask the question, if something happened to me, if I was to get in a car wreck or something, who would be the men that I would want to knock on my front door? And who would I want to be sitting next to my children and to my wife and to offer that kind of bad news? Elders do this on a regular basis. They get into the ditches with people. This is not a leadership opportunity. This is, a, a, this is permission and this is an invitation to death. God's shepherds die for sheep. That's what we do. And it's a great honor. It's hard. It's terribly hard. But it's the life that the church needs. At Redstone Church, we do this in, in a crazy way. We've got a packet that uh, we'll, we'll try to, I, I meant to print off a couple of packets, but our process is lengthy and it's, it, man, it, it just, it'll take the wind out of your cells because we want to guard this office so very much. We want unity to be theologically. We want unity to be among the group. We want it to be in our, in, in our philosophy of ministry. We want you to practically be able to do it because we know that the bar is way high. And so we want you just practically to be able to do that. And so um, this is the idea that we are um, looking for more overseers. We're looking for more elders. We're looking to train up more men to care for the body of believers. There's a warning in this passage, a warning that I don't even know that I've seen before this week of study. The idea that the devil is mentioned twice. Did you notice that? Of the qualifications of an elder, the devil is mentioned twice. And so we need to realize that this is a supernatural endeavor. And so if you desire, the saying is trust, trustworthy, if anyone aspires to this office of overseer, he, des he desires a noble task. Just know that, the, that you are on the front line of ministry and the devil will be coming after you to try to discredit you with everything in his power. Now, to deacons. Starting in verse eight and following, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for uh, dishonest gain, 
must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Verse 11 is a little bit of a transition, uh, even though it doesn't look it like this. Their wives likewise, and so there's these two words likewise, and we'll do some teaching there. Their, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Then there's another transition in verse 12, even though it doesn't look like this. Let deacons, let deacons, each be husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households holds well. In verse 13, there's another transition. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good understanding for themselves and also great confidence and faith that is in Christ Jesus. So let's just talk about our bullet points here. Verse, uh, verse 8 and following, we're talking about deacons likewise. Okay, so if you've got your worship guide and you like to scar up those types of things, it would be good for you to understand and understand that we're talking about deacons. And the word likewise is, is coming from a previous, a previous conversation. Also, there's elders and then there's deacons. So we're talking about the same, very similar list, but a different role. Deacons likewise must be, and then we start to see some of these traits. But then in verse 11, we see that we're not talking about deacons anymore. We're talking about deacons' wives, right? If you look at a footnote, we may be talking about wives or we may be just talking about women, all right? So there's a, there's a transition. We're talking about deacons and we're talking about females here. We know for no matter how we, we parse this thing out, we're talking about males first and then we're talking about females. And then in verse 12, it, there's a transition again because we're not talking about males or females anymore. We are now talking about married men. So now we are, this is our third category of, of deacon here. Let deacons each be a husband of one wife. And so we're talking about a few more characteristics of a married, uh, a married deacon. And then a summary statement in verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons, and so there's just this brand overarching, this, this kind of summary statement of deacons. So that's where we are going. A deacon, very, like we said earlier, a deacon holds an essential function of the church. You've got to put that in your mind. You've got to put that down in writing. He or she holds an essential function of the church. And so that's where leadership comes in, in play. The things that we are catalyzing, the things that we deem as an essential point of the church, that is where you should find a ministry leader. That's where you should find a person to find a deacon. That's different from a, like a side hobby or a personal preference. Those types of things we will simply bless. And so for instance, if we wanted to bake cookies on Fridays for small children at Town Acres, Okay, that's a very specific subset of people, right? There may be a few mothers and fathers in here that would die for those people, those people who would bake cookies for small people at Town Acres, right? But that doesn't mean that it's an essential function of Redstone Church. And so if you are a man, woman, or child, and you have this as your passion, we would bless that passion and say, go for it but we wouldn't necessarily say that is an essential function of the church. Do you see the difference? You see the difference? I hope so. So the Greek term simply means, so this, this idea of deacon simply means servant. It happens 29 times in the New Testament that you are to be a servant. 
The verb form, to be serving, happens 36 times. Uh, the very first and original frame of this idea to, to be a servant is a group of people who take care of others while they are eating. Simply table service. These are waiters or waitresses. This is what we're going, and we have a table on our logo. So we should be like the chief of all deacons. We should, we should understand service better than anybody else. This is what we should want to do. And so it's our job and our passion to train and identify many, many, many more deacons here at Redstone Church because this is our very ethos. It's because we want to give our lives for others. So we've been in process with elders before. We're going to actually start training this summer with two more elders. But we've never done deacons before. And so we've been in this process for the last semester, kind of doing deacon training with two individuals. And it's really, really, really exciting, exciting for us. There's a broad and a very similar, uh, there's a broad sense and a very narrow sense. Broad sense is those people who serve, people who are just giving their lives to others. And that is what we are all called to do. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are to serve him well. But then there is a narrowed focus. And that's where the word deacon is different from the word servant. We are all called to serve, but then we are, there are specific people that are asked to fill the role as deacon. And that is a more technical term. There's a broader, more general term. And then there's a very specific term for the role of deacon. Let's go back to Philippians 1 just for a second mentally. We understand that there are overseers and there are deacons. In Philippians 1.1, this is not the broad sense, but this is a very narrow, very technical term as the person who has been appointed to serve in, in a specific way. We then see that even in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, we see the role of elder and the role of deacon and we see those things kind of collapsing on one another with the word likewise. So elders and likewise deacon. And so in our passage here, we're not talking about everyone is called to be a servant, but we're talking about a role, a specific role here in the local church. And then um, one more historical reference is in Acts 6. Acts 6, we see that uh, the apostles are teaching and then they're praying, but then they're also serving. And we could, we could tell that the serving in Acts 6 became, began to become burdensome to them. And so they began to appoint people to take the service, to go and literally to wait so that the apostles could teach and to pray so that they could continue to teach and preach on a broad spectrum. So whether it's in Philippians 1, whether it's here in 1 Timothy or in Acts chapter 6, we see that there is a role that's different from the generic term. Paul plants churches. And the first thing he does is he says, I want you to appoint elders. I want you to appoint elders and overseers over this congregation. But at some point, the congregation will continue to grow, the manifest the, 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 uh, as issues would arise and complexities continues to increase. Then therefore, we need deacons to come in these essential roles of ministry. Well, guess what? Four years, four and a half years into this thing, elders have continued to, to, to be on the front lines and it's now time to call up these people called deacons to help us with the essential roles of, 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 of ministry. And that's what we're in the part of. 
And so next week, we're actually going to introduce you to two individuals that we love very much and we care for so very much and are holding down the fort for an essential uh, part, portion of, of ministry. All right, we're still, we're still good. Hang in there, guys, hang in. It's very teachy today, not preachy. That's all right. Let's go through all of these characteristics, if you don't mind. First Timothy 3, eight, um, um, uh, one and following. All right, so, uh, I'm sorry, eight and following. So the deacon, deacon, likewise, must be dignified. All right, so if you're just taking notes, here we go. Dignified, someone who is worthy of respect, who is noble, who is highly esteemed. All right, so we want men and women, uh, uh, or sorry, men and younger, uh, other younger men. Uh, I'm sorry, we want men who younger men want to be like. That's what the word dignified means, okay? If you're a man, you know, you want a younger man to look at your life and want to resemble that. That's what dignified means. Number two is not double-tongued, all right? This isn't, we don't use this phrase, but double-tongued means simply to be sincere in your speech, to be honest and truthful, not to be hateful, to be careful, to make sure that your words, again, that younger, younger men would want to talk like you. Uh, number three is not addicted to wine, all right? And so these, these are men who are, are self-controlled in their habits, People who are not consumed by the, the ways of this world, right? But they're able to hold their, their habits in check, all right? So basically, no addictions. And so we'll look and we'll examine your, your life and, and, and some of your habits and say, are you addicted to these things? To be addicted to wine or even addicted to anything, we would take very, very seriously. But the, the quality underneath there is, is self-controlled or a lifestyle and your choice, choices are lined up with Jesus's. The fourth thing that Paul says is not greedy, especially greedy for dishonest gain. If you're in the deacon role to make money, that's a bad reason to want to be a, a deacon. So there may be some kind of financial, I mean, you may get some kind of, um, you may be tempted for some kind of kickback. But if that's the reason or if that's the motivation, Paul tells us very clearly, you are not to be greedy. You are not in it for the money. And then as a character trait, you're not motivated by it. You cannot be a deacon who serves. You cannot be the one who's literally waiting on tables and the one that is motivated, motivated for money alone. You are to, must hold the mystery of the faith. It means you hold sound doctrine. You're able to, to know a few things about theology and understand the gospel and be able to give that away to others. And then lastly, you must be tested first. You must be faithful over time. And so that's the reason there's a little bit of, of a time there. Women, likewise, all right? So whether these are uh, wives or these are females. We'll talk about that here in a second. But either way, there's another kind of list of characteristics. And so these women, these females, whoever they are, um, they also are to be dignified in the same way. Um, instead of double-tongued, you know, here we have a woman coming in and you can't be a slanderer. You know, you can't be malicious or gossip. You have to be careful in your speech. Instead of not addicted to, to wine, you know, the, the, the females down here have to be sober-minded. They have to be temperate, have to be clear-minded. And lastly, have to be faithful in all things. And our third category of whoever these are, these deacons, our third category is these married folks have to be a husband of one wife. You have to be faithful to your wife. You have to be sexually pure. And then you have to manage your children and your households. And so, as deacons, 
right? And as this role, we understand in the very similar sense as elders that character matters. You have to follow Jesus. And as Jesus is portraying all of these things, you too have to follow in his likeness. We see here that we're probably talking about single males, right? We're talking about females. We're not sure exactly what's going on here. We're talking about married males. So the question I think that's on everybody's question is, or heart is, can females be a deacon? Like what is going on in this list of qualities? Like can a female actually hold this role inside of a local church? Well, I'll go ahead and take the sting out of all of it and just say at Redstone Church, we believe that the role of deacon can be given away to both a male and a female, right? The role of elder, the role of elder is male only. But here in our passage and other passages, we feel very comfortable saying that that the role of, of a deacon can be held by a female. And we love the eye of that, love that idea. And we're so very proud of those types of things. However, there are closed-handed issues and then there are open-handed issues. Closed-handed issues are the things that we would that, that we put in our statement of faith. Things like, Jesus is the only way to the Father. You can't get to the Father but by me. We will literally die for this. That Jesus, through his blood atonement, he bought our sins so that we can have forgiveness of our sins. We will die and we will fight for this, right? And open-handed issues are these issues that we hold on to. But we just, we, we, we're not going to die for these things. This is how we read the scriptures. This is how we will, we will teach the scriptures, right? But these are things that, that are so very secondary compared to just the enormity of what Christ has already done for us. The role of deacon, right? Especially male and female, an open-handed issue for us. We believe it because we see it in the scriptures, right? But we don't want this to, to split or we don't want this to create disunity. So this morning, our job was to pray for humility, but also to pray for unity. But then also permission to speak. We want you to, to, to share your concerns with us. We want you to walk into a conversation with us. From the beginning of Redstone now, we've just never been afraid of hard conversations. We continue to have them. Uh, I mean, hopefully on weekly, much uh, easily, monthly, we want to have these hard conversations with one another. And so should women uh, be able to uh, serve as, as deacons? We would say yes for these very reasons. And I'll give you a couple. Uh, first and foremost, if you just look at the structure of 1 Timothy, we have to ask the question. Again, this is just a conversation among friends. We have to ask the question, is why would, the, would we require something of a deacon's wife that we would not require out of an elder's wife. Knowing that the elder is the overseer of the body, why then would we have then an asterisk here in deacons and say that this only pertains to wives? So we would just ask that question just fundamentally. The way that Paul wrote it, why would he have a, 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 actually a stricter view of deacons than he would, would elders? And so that would be our first reason is we have, this just creates questions for us. Uh, number two is when we read 1 Timothy and the word here is their wives likewise, we know that there's a problem with that word, with the word wives. We know that that is more commonly used for woman, 
okay, or women, or basically female. That is that word. And if we were actually going to use the word wives, Paul usually uses a different word elsewhere. And so grammatically, again, it's an open-handed issue, but we have to ask these questions a certain way. One, why is Paul making a deacon stricter if it's simply just a wife? And number two, why, if he wanted to really use the word wife, would he not use the word that he normally uses, uses for wife? Why would he put a generic term like female in there? Number three is we know that the early church, that there were female deacons, right? So in, in Romans 16, we know that there's a deacon. Her name is Phoebe, and she's doing a beautiful job in her local context. So we don't know Phoebe, but we love her, and we're glad that she's given the role as deacon. Not only in the early church in the New Testament, but in the early, uh, for a couple of centuries, we see this, this idea that it's, it's common practice to appoint uh, um, female deacons. Uh, number four is that in a very frank and honest way is that we give women huge roles in our local church and we have no problem with it at all. And so the person who is holding down one of the largest ministries, if not the largest ministry at Redstone Church is held by a female. Her name is Debbie Dupree, who is a servant of Jesus. Whether she's a deacon or not, that's, that's, I'm just saying that we are, we are giving away responsibilities to females all the time. And so that gives us kind of a, 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 an authority is that we're okay with these types of things. So why would we not, why would this be a little bit of a stumbling block for us? For, and this is not a, a big one, however, we have done a lot of research and we have done a lot of, of reading in fact, we had a, a man do an entire research paper on this issue and bring back his conclusions, right? And so we've done a ton of research and we've, we've read so many men and theologians that we respect. And quite frankly, they're, they're split 50-50. But we know that the men that are kind of in our tribe, the people that we probably we lean really, really heavy on, these men have read the New Testament far more than me and Jerry combined, and they've come to these kinds of conclusions. And so that's, and, and that's, that's, that's important to us. But lastly, in, in my study, in verse 30, 13 for me is the kicker because it sounds like a summary statement. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That seems to me like it's a summary statement. It tells me that all of these roles, all of these deacons, it seems like, okay, now I'm just going to put the, the icing on the cake. It seems to me that Paul is talking about male deacons first. He's then talking about female deacons second. And then he is talking about male deacons who are married third. And then the summary statement. So that's how we'll teach and that's actually how our philosophy of ministry will begin to unfold. But we want you to, to, to grapple with this. And we, want, we don't want you to, to, to walk away from really your heart's uh, desire or your convictions. And so who runs this church? Jesus runs the church. He's given offices, right, of elders and deacons. We like that idea. He's given us as a congregation and he's given you as an individual. We do not want you to submit to anyone but Jesus, blindly. We don't want you to submit to 
anyone, especially this church, in a blind fashion. We want your honest feedback and we want your conversations. Not that we're going to change our, our, our position. We've done a lot of reading on this, but we are willing to have the conversation and we're willing to listen to questions. And if there are questions we can't answer, we'll, we'll simply say we don't, we don't know. We are not, uh, we are not perfect. And so um, we are gonna, we're going to lean in to a hard conversation this week. There is a perforated uh, piece on your worship guide. And it's called a connect card. Uh, we're going to give you some space at the end of our, our service simply to just write your name and say, I've got questions about deacons. Um, I'll try to clear my schedule. Jerry's in California this week, that jerk. Um, so um, is that, was that recorded, Cameron? Um, make sure that you like, make the volume go way up on that part so jerry's in california so i'll bear the brunt this week so um here's what we want you to do if you've got questions if you've got concerns um if if you're fighting mad i mean just all of these types of things we we want it to at least have a conversation and so we'd love to do that so use that connect card use a few minutes to kind of dialogue with the lord you always i think everybody's got my cell phone or my email we want to make ourselves available to you this week because when we appoint or when we bring out our deacons uh, next week, uh, we want to do so in a unified way. But we wanted to give you guys a, you know, a, a good week to kind of grapple with information before we kind of move on with practicality. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, we're, that's a terrible transition to the Lord's table, but there it is. You've got to own it. Um, let me pray for us, and then we'll walk into communion together. Jesus, uh, you never said that um, this would be easy. In fact, you told us the opposite. You said it would be hard. Whatever we believe about these roles, and we can differ, we know without a doubt, in fact, that both of these roles are a call to die, a call to give of themselves, to cherish your kingdom over that of this world, to put others first and to die to yourself. Jesus, I pray that you are, you're collecting an army of people who want to live in that way, who are tired of living for themselves and chasing the American dream, but really want to live their life for the sake of others. And not just for the sake of others, but, but for the sake of your kingdom and your kingdom to come. Jesus, thank you for the local church. Thank you that the local church was your idea. Thank you that uh, you have given us your scriptures and allowing us to follow those scriptures. Allowing us to grapple with these questions because without your scriptures, we would go astray. Thank you for bringing us back to the truth. So I pray for unity among us as a body of believers. I pray that we are willing to walk into hard conversations with one another. But more than just, in, um, just honesty, God, more than unity, I pray that you are making us a sent people, a people who are on mission, a people who are willing to walk out those doors and tell other people about Jesus Christ. And therefore, we're gonna need more elders and we're gonna need more deacons. We're gonna need to raise up more leaders for your local body of believers. And so help us now look at these qualifications and look at this character and say, I want to emulate my life after Jesus. 
Because there's, you cannot read these characteristics without seeing Jesus alone. And so every man and woman and every child and every middle school boy and girl help us to read these, this list and say, this is what I want for my life. But I can't do it all by myself. That's why I need the Holy Spirit and the power to, to just correct some things in my life. Raise up leaders this morning. Put a stirring in our heart, God, that we need each other. This is your church. You allowed us to plant it here in North Johnson City. Allow us to lead it well. Jesus, we know that your example was that of dying and death, not a preservation of yourself. So as we as leaders walk into this space, help us to do so, emulating more death than preservation. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. And so this is Leadership 101. If you aspire to be an elder, you do. It's, it's a noble task. But this is Leadership 101, that you have to follow Jesus. And when Jesus teaches leadership, he teaches it through the death of self. And so if you're not willing, you're not ready to give of your life for other people, this is not an endeavor and it's not something to be taken lightly. In the same way, he gave his life, but then he also, he did something powerful. Isaiah tells us that we were, we were red like scarlet, but Jesus has made us white as snow. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he said, this is my blood that is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And so his giving of his body, his giving, his pouring out of his blood was for us. And so who's in charge? Jesus is in charge. And yet he values each of us individually. And he has called each of us by name. He's plucked us out of a crowd and he says, you are forgiven. You have been made right. And so if you are forgiven, if you are a saint in Jesus this morning, this table is for you. So we've got men all around the room, more in the back than in the front. Uh, but we've got these guys scattered around. We would encourage you, if you're a, a faithful, if you're a, a follower of Jesus, we would encourage you to come and partake this morning. So go ahead and stand. Will's gonna play a little bit. And then these stations are open for you. So take this meal whenever you see fit. Mm -hmm.